Good morning. Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Philippians, chapter 4, the 6th and 7th verses. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the word of God for the people of God. Speak to God. So, the story goes that a number of years ago, there was a Midwestern lawyer. It's not a joke. This is a real story, I promise. Uh, a number of years ago, there was a Midwestern lawyer who suffered from such severe depression that his, his best friends made certain that there were no razors or knives close to him. One of the things he records in his journal is this. He said, I am now the most miserable man living. Whether I shall ever be better, I cannot tell. I awfully forebode that I shall not. But somehow, some way, Abraham Lincoln overcame his depression and became one of the greatest leaders in the history of our country. Today we're beginning a new sermon series. It's entitled, Be Well. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Some translations say, have it abundantly. Jesus Christ came that we could experience life throughout all the aspects of our being. True, abundant life. I don't believe that Jesus came so we could live lives of quiet desperation. I think Jesus came so that we could live lives that make a difference in this world. Lives that are fulfilling and transformational. My brothers and sisters, it's not just our spiritual lives either. We spend a lot of time in church talking about being well in our spirits. But God also calls us to be well in our mental and emotional states. God calls us to be well in our physical being. And so over the course of these next two weeks, we're going to look at being well. And we're going to start today by looking at our mental and emotional well-being. And next week, we're going to transition and talk about our physical well-being. If, as we begin our topic this morning, if I were to list for you uh, the number of Historical figures, this is just a brief glimpse, the number of historical figures who have wrestled with anxiety and depression, the the list is quite amazing. Leonardo da Vinci, Michelangelo, Sir Isaac Newton, Beethoven, Charles Darwin, Thomas Edison, Winston Churchill, Albert Einstein, Walt Disney, Ozzy Osbourne. I feel like we could have guessed that last one, don't you? (laughs) I want to share some facts with you about anxiety and depression um, from the ADAA. And here's what uh, here's what we learn. Uh, anxiety disorder is the most common mental illness in the world today. About 40 million Americans will wrestle with some form of an anxiety disorder across their lifetime. One out of every 10 doctor visits is based on an issue of, with anxiety or depression. About uh, 36.9% of people who wrestle with anxiety or depression actually receive treatment. Now, here's the thing that's amazing about this. We have some really great treatments for anxiety and depression. But only about a third of people who suffer with anxiety and depression seek treatment. Why? Because there's a stigma associated with our mental and emotional illnesses still today. We'll talk about that more in just a moment. Here's the number that haunts me most. 25.1% of children between the ages of 13 and 18... 25.1% will experience some kind of anxiety disorder or depressive disorder during their teenage years. 
And, and not only will they experience that, but it has impact. Pe- young people who experience anxiety or depression uh, are going to be less likely to do well in school. They're going to miss some social milestones. Think about it. If you're experiencing anxiety or depression, who wants to go to the dance? Also, uh, there's an increased likelihood of substance abuse among not only teenagers, but all who suffer with anxiety and depression. I want to define for us today what I mean by these words, anxiety and depression, because they're actually two different things. So what is anxiety? Anxiety is a heightened presence of fear that can be debilitating. Anxiety is a heightened presence of fear that can be debilitating. Another way to think of this is anxiety is a malfunction in the system which activates and terminates a defense response. In other words, someone with an anxiety disorder would sit in a room like this, a very safe place, And something inside of them would trigger. And all of a sudden, their self-protection mechanism would kick in. And they would feel as if there was someone going to get them. Or some problem that was going to arise for them. It's the constant idea that something's about to go wrong, that danger is just around the corner. This is the most common of all mental illnesses. And it's worth noting that women experience an anxiety 60% more often than men do. That's anxiety. What is depression? Depression can be defined as a prolonged lack of joy and hope. Now, sometimes we talk about being depressed kind of euphemistically because we're sad. All of us, throughout the course of a healthy emotional experience, are going to have times in our lives where we're happy and times when we're sad. So what is the distinction between simply being sad and experiencing depression? Uh, well, the distinction is a time frame. So uh, depression is a, a marked lack of, 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 of joy or hope in, in our lives that lasts for a period of 10 days or longer. Some sources out there will say 14 days or longer. The trick about anxiety and depression, one of the things that's really challenging about anxiety and depression is that 50% of the time, anxiety and depression are co-located within the same person. Oftentimes, they are uh, misdiagnosed one for the other. And because there is still a great stigma around mental and emotional wellness in this, this world, uh, we have a large number of people, as I noted earlier, only about 36% of people who experience anxiety or depression are going to seek uh, counseling or, or medication for it. Because there is still a stigma, very few people actually name their problem. And what that means for us is that a lot of folks who experience anxiety and depression will try to self-medicate through the use of alcohol or other substances which creates a whole nother ball of wax as it goes in terms of challenges for their well-being. I want to address with us for just a moment a stigma around mental health that exists. And the reason I want to do that is because I believe the Church of Jesus Christ is in some respects culpable for this stigma. You see, throughout history, oftentimes people who had a mental or emotional disorder were characterized as demon-possessed. They were believed; It was believed by the church that they had sinned in some way. I saw a statistic this week that scared me to death. It said that, and this was a statistic taken from church people. That's all that this this group was looking at. It was looking just at church folk. And it said that 43% of us believe that mental and emotional uh, illnesses are caused by, quote, personal or emotional weakness. In the church, we have contributed to this. We have articulated that people face mental and emotional illness because they haven't studied their Bibles enough or they haven't prayed enough or they have sinned too much. And what we forget is that some of the greatest spiritual leaders in our tradition suffered with depression and anxiety. Moses. Joshua. Jeremiah. 
David, Job. You know all those guys have in common? At a certain point in their life, all of them prayed for God to kill them. I think it's fair to suggest that that probably means that they were suffering with some kind of depression, don't you? Anxiety in the Bible. There's one very well noted case of significant anxiety in the Bible. It, of course, afflicted our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Do you remember when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane? And the Bible says he he prayed even more earnestly and his sweat was as great drops of what? Blood. In July of 1984, the Journal of the American Medical Association published a study entitled On the Physical Death of Jesus Christ. It is one of the most fascinating things I have ever read in my life. It talked about the physical experience of crucifixion. One of the things that the Journal of the American Medical Association articulated was that there is a condition in the world, it's been annotated in the world, uh, called uh, hema or hematohydrosis. So when our bodies are under great anxiety or stress, one of the ways that we respond from a physiological standpoint is that we try to expedite, we try to more efficiently send oxygen throughout our body. And in order to do that, our blood pressure increases. And it's not, it doesn't happen because we add more blood to our system. The reason our blood pressure is able to increase is because our vessels constrict. So with every pump of the heart, oxygenated blood flows more efficiently through the body. One of the things that's really very interesting about our bodies is that there are some blood vessels in our bodies, some of the smallest in our bodies, called capillaries. Capillaries are so small that red blood cells have to line up in a single file line to get through the capillaries. That's how small some of our capillaries are. Some of these capillaries feed the sublayer of our skin, the dermis. And in, in moments where people are extremely stressed, when they're experiencing great anxiety, those vessels can constrict to the point that even the single file red blood cells are, are too much for the vessel and it explodes. It bursts. And the blood that was contained within those capillaries floods over into sweat glands and quite literally human beings begin to sweat blood. My point in telling you this story is to say some of the greatest spiritual leaders in our tradition, some of the greatest spiritual leaders in scripture wrestled with things like anxiety and depression. Why, why do we continue to allow this to be a stigma in the church? Don't you think it's time that we covenant together to recognize that mental and emotional illnesses are every bit as valid as other types of illnesses? If, if somebody came to me with a broken bone and said, Pastor, I've broken my arm, I'm not going to say to that person, you should just pray harder. I'm going to say, go get an x-ray, man. Why then do we allow a stigma to exist around mental or emotional well-being? I believe it is time for the church of Jesus Christ to drop our stigma and to do our best to help minister to those people around us who are facing these kinds of challenges. It's an important part of our work. You know what one of the challenges... Yeah, amen. All right, clap for that. That's great. You know why this is a little bit harder? Uh, how many of you... How many of you have called uh, a primary care physician recently and tried to get an appointment? It's not easy to do. It's not. I mean, you can go to patient first, which is a great place. I have a wife who works there. It's great. But uh, if you're talking about getting on your own patient panel with your own doctor, it's, it's hard to do. Also, fi- finding, finding qualified counselors in this area is a challenge. I refer people to counselors on a somewhat regular basis. And I've had people come back to me and say, I, I called them for an appointment and they told me it was going to be between eight weeks and in some cases a year before they could get in to see me. 
My brothers and sisters, Stafford County is one of the wealthiest communities in the world. The last, the most recent statistics I saw said that Stafford County is the fifth wealthiest community in the United States of America. Fifth wealthiest community in the wealthiest nation in the history of the world. And so most of our people, most of the folks we come into contact with, we don't wrestle with food insecurity. And most of the people we come into contact with are not about to lose their homes and become homeless. But I've been here a year now. And one of the things I can tell you is at least as true for us as it is for anywhere else, and maybe even more true for us, is that the people in our community face issues of mental and emotional illness. What are we going to do about it? Well, this series is a start. But I also want to use today as an opportunity to let you know about a new position on our staff. See, We had this person on our staff called our ministerial intern. His name is Don Williams. Uh, But Don graduated from seminary. Uh, So good on him, but we lost our ministerial intern because he insisted on graduating or whatever. Uh, So that left us with a, a line item that wasn't being used in our budget. And then I became aware of someone in our community who had recently completed his education to be a counselor. And so we had this unused line item in our budget a need in our community, and somebody who could meet that need. I love it when a plan comes together, don't you? So, with the unanimous approval of our Staff Parish Relations Committee, our Human Resources team that's lay-led here at the church, with the unanimous approval of our governing board, we hired him. Ebenezer Church now has a counselor in-house whose services we give away for free to people who need them. Are you proud of that? Because I am. Amen. His name is Keith Priest. In just a moment, I'm going to invite him on stage. But first, I want to tell you a little bit about what Keith does. He practices something called solutions-based counseling. What is that? Well, solutions-based counseling is a process that seeks to define one given challenge that someone is facing and then move towards a given resolution of that prompt, that's that uh, given solution. Generally, the process takes about eight sessions. One of the things I want to say to you is Keith is not a psychotherapist. That's not what he does. Uh, There are some times that Keith will have to, just like Mark and I have to, refer people to other counselors, and that's an important thing that we will do. But it's also worth noting that for a number of people in our community, people who are experiencing grief and loss, people who feel like their marriages are in trouble because they're struggling with communication or finances because they're struggling with infidelity, there are people in our community, I have heard witness testimony from people who have been meeting with him that he is already doing the great work of helping to change their lives. And I'm very, very proud of it. And the best part is this. Because Keith is on staff here, because he works at Ebenezer Church, we can be unabashed about the importance of spiritual development and the key role of Jesus Christ in moving people towards true wellness. Yeah. So... Would you join me in welcoming my friend Keith Priest to the stage? Well, Keith, I want to welcome you as well. We're uh, glad that you're not only on staff, but that you're joining us today. Welcome. We're glad that you're here. Uh, So with all of your training and experience and given our time today, what are three places in people's lives that you'd like to speak to? Yeah, I've seen uh, many of us struggle with our identity in Christ. 
uh, we struggle with communication with our spouses or with uh, other people that we have relationships with. And then we struggle with for- forgiveness, uh, forgiveness of our own personal sins and then forgiveness of others that may have wronged us. Sure. Well, why don't you speak to identity? What does that look like? So as Christians, we have an identity in Christ, and through that identity, it informs what our worldview is. It tells us what we should value and, and how we should react in different situations. And, and if our relationship with Christ isn't properly identified, then uh, we don't get that proper balance that, that we receive whenever God is the priority in our lives. Uh, if you take, for instance, myself, a few years ago, if you would have asked me, who am I, I would have told you I'm a Marine flight engineer. Father, husband, musician, God wouldn't have cracked the top five. Uh, and what that means is my priorities were totally skewed. Um, I didn't really know which way was up whenever I had faced adversity and challenges. And, and I kind of discovered that even in, in my life, I was kind of idolizing or, or focusing on the wrong aspects. And uh, I like that, that language of idolizing because one of the things that I see, I don't know about you, I'm guilty of this as well. Oftentimes when people ask me to identify who I am, I'll often tell them either what I do Right? Or I'll tell them that I'm a parent. Uh, and particularly with that second one, when, when I define my, my role, my, my key identity as a parent, what that does to my child is it elevates my child to the center of my life. It makes my child into an idol. And, and the problem with this is that our children weren't built to be idols, right? They're not supposed to have to manage that, that kind of stress and anxiety on their own. My point in saying that is not only do uh, we, when we fail to, to set the appropriate precedence in terms of our own identity, not only can we pos- potentially bring our lives out of balance, but we can very unintentionally uh, negatively impact the lives of the, the people we love most. Yeah, so then, Keith, what can we do to fix that? So uh, a simple question of how is God active in your life right now, that, that helps me identify kind of your relationship with, with God and how you're coming before him. Um, and through that, then we can begin to kind of tailor the counseling sessions to kind of help mold you along, uh, you know, into your, your ultimate goal, which is transformation into the image of Christ. Uh, we do that through conversation and, and, you know, specific Bible studies directed right at that point. Excellent. All right, so we've talked about identity. Tell me about communication. Yeah, so communication is a a very critical thing that we all do every day. Um, We do it with more regularity than we do pretty much anything else. Um, And the interesting thing about communication is uh, there there are two key aspects. Uh, The first is that we have to be disciplined. Uh, The discipline comes into, into into place when we're talking to each other, we can listen three times faster than we can speak. So mm. while somebody is talking to me, uh, I can think about how can I persuade them to my way of thinking? How can I fix their problem? Or what am I having for dinner? Um, I mean, I could go wherever I want. Um, but the thing is, is I have to be intentional to focus on where they're at because that leads to the second piece, which is to be emotionally connected. Uh, too many times when we are too busy focusing on ourselves in the conversation, we miss the fact that we're talking to, to one of God's children that are actually hurting. And, and we need to meet them where they are. And that kind of goes into uh, when Jesus said to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, that means that you've got to meet them where they are, not where you want them to be. And one of the things that uh, we've talked about before, and, and I have seen it, oftentimes it will not shock you to know that husbands and wives every once in a while um, don't communicate well. Is that, is that right? Do you, you experience that sometimes? Never too? happens. Never, right? never. Yeah, just me. So, uh, but one of the things that we put into practice uh, when we're doing marital counseling is something called mirroring. Can you talk about that for a second? Yeah, so mirroring is something that we do even with couples that say they're communicating well. It's still an exercise that every couple can benefit from. Uh, 
the speaker will, will make a very succinct I statement of about a paragraph uh, in length, and they will share that with their spouse, and the spouse will receive that statement and then process where the partner is coming from and try to connect with them at an emotional level and then answer back with what they thought they heard the person say. So in practice, it's really kind of interesting to watch as a third-party practitioner. Uh, you'll hear the, the wife say, A, and the husband will say, baby, you're right. B is absolutely true. No, no, no. I didn't say B. I said, I said A. It's a fascinating exercise that gives us the opportunity to hone our listening skills with our, our closest partners. Yeah, oh, that's right. Well, tell me about forgiveness. Well, forgiveness is a tough part. Um, you know, it's hard for us to forgive ourselves. It's hard for us to forgive others that have wronged us. But the problem is when we fail to forgive, we kind of stun our, our emotional and spiritual growth at that point. Uh, we suffer from something called spiritual paralysis. Um, because if we... You know, if we fail to forgive ourselves for sins we've committed, we're, we're almost saying that we're not worthy of God's love any longer. And it's through God's grace and love that, we're, that we grow. Uh, and then when we fail to forgive others that have wronged us, then we play the role of victim. And again, we get put in a position where we're not able to move forward. So then how do you counsel people to move forward? So the great thing about Christian counseling and what we do is it's, you know, counselor, client, and the Holy Spirit all act together, which allows Scripture to be the key component to to how we can kind of direct where we should go. Uh, And so as Rob mentioned earlier today with John 10.10, Jesus wants us to have an abundant life, and it's not an abundant life in heaven or way in the future. It's like in the here and now. Uh, So we we put that into perspective, and then we start looking at passages such as James that he tells us to consider great joy when you go through trials in your life that you'll be complete and lacking nothing. So we we start to build this. God wants you to have the abundant life. James knows that the struggles are going to make you grow, and then we sit down and identify how can this growth happen in light of your forgiveness of others. I couldn't be more excited to have you on staff. I couldn't be more excited not only to offer your services to, to this congregation, but our community. And, and one of the things I'm excited about is, you know, because of the faithfulness of these people, we get to give this service away to people who are hurting for free. And I, I want to invite you to, would you join me in a word of prayer as we kind of commission Keith into this new holy work that he's doing? Would you pray with us? Gracious God, we thank you for our brother Keith. We thank you for the work that he has done to prepare for this moment. Uh, we thank you for the, the ministry he's already undertaken as part of the the work here at Ebenezer. We ask your continued blessing upon his life and his family. We pray, O God, that you would help him to lead us towards having a healthier sense of our identity in you, towards communicating better with those who are closest to us, and especially, O God, towards experiencing your forgiveness and allowing ourselves to forgive those who have hurt us. Thank you for this man, for his ministry. God bless him and make him be a blessing to this community. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and always for his sake. Amen. Amen, Amen. Amen brother. Thank you, Keith, for being here. Okay, so one final thought. What happens? What happens if I have somebody in my life who is facing some kind of mental or emotional illness? What, what, what should I do? I want to offer three suggestions to us today. The the first is this. We must be present with them. There is a stigma still to this day around mental and emotional wellness. And sometimes we encounter people who are experiencing mental and, and emotional illness and we don't know how to process this. And so our tendency is to build a wall, to walk away. But Keith actually shared something with me this week that is fascinating. He said, counseling on its own when it comes to mental and emotional illnesses has about a 30% 
30% success rate. However, when the person who's experiencing counseling is surrounded by loving family and friends, that number goes from a 30% success rate to an 80% success rate. In other words, one of the most important things we can do for the people in our lives who are facing mental and emotional illness is to be there for them and walk with them. Secondly, Uh, it's really important for us to say what we mean. Have you ever been in an experience where uh, someone has has lost someone, they had a tragedy in their lives, and and you've heard somebody else say, well, you know, this must have been God's plan. Church, God does not plan evil for our lives. God didn't plan for husbands to lose their wives or wives to lose their husbands. You remember that death was not part of God's original plan, right? You remember that, yes? It was not God's intention ever. So it's important not to say the platitudes that could cause people to think that God is responsible for the tragedies in our lives. So what could we say instead? You remember the story of Joseph, right? Joseph sold into slavery by his brothers. I've mentioned this once before to our congregation. Joseph sold into slavery by his his brothers. (laughs) And through an amazing, miraculous turn of events... Joseph, taken into Egypt, elevates is elevated to the place where he's second in command. And one day his brothers come and unbeknownst to them, they kneel before, before Joseph who they sold into slavery. And in Genesis 50, Joseph's having a conversation with his brothers. And he says to them, they say to him, Joseph, please, please do not exact retribution on us. And Joseph's response is, is fantastic. Joseph says, you have nothing to fear from me because what you intended for evil... God transformed into good. So I don't think we should extend platitudes that don't make sense to the people in our lives who are hurting. I think instead we can speak truth about hope. We can say to them, I'm so sorry that you're hurting right now. And I know God does not want you to be hurting right now. We can speak words of hope and healing. Words about the fact that one day, one day, all evil is going to be cast aside. That soon the dawn will break in your life. So the first thing we can do is we can be present with the people in our lives who are facing mental and emotional illness. The second thing we can do is we can say what we mean. We can speak words of hope. And the third thing that we can do is we can get our loved ones connected with someone who is trained to be in conversation with them. We can get them connected to a counselor. We've got some wonderful counselors in Stafford, and now we've got a great one on our staff. And we're giving away his services for free. Keith's contact information is on in the sermon, sermon notes section of your bulletin. I know he'd love to hear from you. If you would like to work out an appointment with him today, you can go into our office. They're going to give you a packet of information. I invite you to fill that out. Then you'll bring it back to us. This will be treated as confidentially as any conversation you have with a pastor, as confidentially as any conversation you have with your doctor. Keith will review the information, call you, and set up an opportunity to talk. So, my brothers and sisters... Yes, there are some times in our lives that we face mental and emotional illness. What do we do when we encounter the people in our lives who are going through that road? We're present with them. We say the things we need, words of hope and expectancy. And we get them connected with people who are trained to have healthy conversations and move them towards being well. I hope that you will join us next week as uh, we move into a different conversation about wellness as we talk about physical wellness. Church, would you pray with me? Holy God, you know there is more to be said than what could be said in these few moments. I give you thanks 
I give you thanks for the opportunity to be present for the people around us. I give you thanks for the joy that there is in our community. We ask, oh God, that you would help us to be there for those who are hurting, that you would help us not to build walls because we don't understand, but rather to to make ourselves available, present. Help us to speak words of hope. Help us to connect our loved ones to people who can help them. Lord, help us to be light in darkness. That is our prayer. And we give you thanks, O God, because a rational, thinking person who examines the doctrine of Christian theology will know that we are always, always, always a people of hope. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ for his sake and his kingdom. Amen.